Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, lovely to see you here on this uh, wonderfully sunny, sunny morning. What a blessing over the bank holiday weekend this is. Thank you, Lord. Uh, two Fridays ago, uh, it was uh, raining, uh, chucking it down with rain, and I had arranged to meet a friend in London, and I suddenly thought, oh, I could go there earlier and uh, do what is a good thing to do on a wet day in Britain, which is to go and visit an art gallery. Uh, so that's what I did. And I went to see uh, an exhibition uh, which is uh, called uh, Monet and Architecture, uh, which is uh, Monet being fantastic impressionist uh, artist. And it had art from all over the world. So it was pieces of art that you wouldn't uh, normally have been able to see. And one of the pieces of art that I stood in front of, I had come all the way from Russia, so that was pretty special in itself. And when I uh, read the little bit of uh, description of it, uh, it said that this particular piece of art had been painted by Monet uh, from the room that the first Impressionist exhibition was uh, held the following uh, year. And that piece of art had been in that very first exhibition. And I was like, oh, wow, here I am standing in front of a piece of art that has made history. It was a painting of a street that, the, that was then put in an exhibition that launched a whole movement, which was the Impressionist art movement. And I had a moment of... I'm standing, looking at history. I'm standing, looking at something that has just started. I love a sense of history, as you have gathered by that introduction. And what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks uh, in the morning at both the 9 o'clock and the 10.30s, we're going to be looking at the big story. We're going to look at the story of God, our place in his story, history. But the team said we couldn't call it his story because it's, you know, a bit me being 1990s with that sort of thing. So we call it the big story. And those of you who've been part of uh, Be Kids and serving on the team there, you'll know that the, the children and the young people have also gone through the story of God. The evening gathering, we've had a series on the big story. And now we're focusing in the morning on this grand narrative of Scripture, the whole arc of what God has planned for us. Because the story of God, the big story is that God himself has come to rescue and renew creation in and through the work of Jesus Christ. And we get to play a part in what God has done. When I think of different parts of the Acts of the Apostles, I see some extraordinary talks, preaches, inspirational words that the apostles bring to different groups. And we see Peter at Pentecost 
speaking to a group of people who were primarily uh, from the Jewish tradition. So when he spoke to them in talking about the story of God, he included quotes from the Old Testament prophets that they would have known really well. Similarly, Stephen, uh, just before he was martyred, when he talked about the story of God, he again linked that in uh, with the Old Testament because he knew that that's, his hearers would have been very well versed in the Old Testament, know that uh, really well. So he used that to explain the story of God. But what happens? What, what do we speak if we're speaking into a culture that has little or no connection uh, with God, with the Bible? How do we introduce the big story then of what God has done? So before we look at today's passage, uh, I want to ask you this question. Uh, Who do you think people look to nowadays? Where do people put their reliance, their trust? Uh, It used to be in institutions, uh, but not anymore. What now? What do you think people put their reliance in? What do people trust in? Yeah. Have, a, have a moment to uh, talk with your neighbour or quietly to reflect on your own and then, yeah, we'll field some answers to that. Who or what do people put their reliance on or trust in nowadays? Take a moment to do that. Okay, what do you think people put their trust in or their reliance on nowadays? Just shout it out and I'll repeat it back. Themselves. Themselves? Yep. Social media? Science. Science. Money. Money. Celebrities? Permanent contracts? Pension? Brand. Brand. Yep. Romantic love? love. Not not a lot. Not a lot. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Those are all excellent, and I'm sure that we can think of other things that people put their trust in, that that we put our trust in from time to time when we're not focusing on God. I'm going to read from uh, chapter 17 of the Acts of the Apostles, and I'm going to start at verse 16. And this is the Apostle Paul, and he's uh, near the beginning of his uh, journey through Europe. He gets to Athens... And uh, this is what Luke, who wrote Acts, records. So this is uh, Acts chapter 17, uh, starting at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks 
as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So, You are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So Paul uh, is walking around and seeing a city that is described as submerged with idols, absolutely full of idols. And the idols were those things that people in those days put their trust in, put their reliance on. Uh, But so much so um, that some people had put there uh, a catch-all God and said, well, we may not have covered all the bases of all of the idols, therefore we will have an idol that is to the unknown God. And that uh, means that we've been able to um, cover all of our bases with regards to things that we can put our trust in. And uh, Paul starts, as he usually does, in the synagogue, talking with uh, Jewish people and God-fearing Greeks. But then Luke describes how he goes day to day into the marketplace, a place full of ideologies and conversations going on, instead, as well as trading. And many of us, that's where we live our lives day to day. We're out in the marketplace. We're We're here on Sundays, but during the week we're out in the marketplace and we hear all sorts of different ideas going on in terms of where people put their trust and reliance. And this is what Paul is seeing as he goes around the marketplace, as he has conversations. And there are two particular groups that he ends up in conversation with. Uh, One group Uh, of philosophers called the Epicureans are people who at that time thought that there wasn't really a God or if there was, God was absolutely distant, completely far away. And the way that they lived their lives was to emphasize chance and escape and the enjoyment of pleasure. They thought that uh, you should get on with life as best as you could just discovering how to gain maximum pleasure from a quiet, sedate existence. That's the Epicureans. The other group of philosophers that uh, Paul encountered at this time uh, thought that divinity lay within the present world and lay within the person. 
they emphasized fatalism and uh, the endurance of pain. And they tried to live according to an inner divine uh, rationality. And they became uh, very self-sufficient. That's what they looked to. So those philosophers were then guiding the conversations in the marketplace. Thousands of people following those sorts of ideas. Either that God massively distant, not involved at all, or that you could become very self-sufficient and self-reliant. And those philosophers say to Paul, come, we want to hear more. Come and speak on our Oropagus, which is the highest court in the city. It was right at the top, and it was set on a rock looking down on the marketplace and the Acropolis. Now, on the surface, that seems like a great opportunity and, and what a super invitation that Paul has been given there. But actually, that invitation contains a certain amount of threat. Why do I say that? Well, when they say of Paul, he seems to be speaking of foreign divinities, Jesus and the resurrection, uh, they are hearing him say Jesus, and they're also hearing him use a word, anastasis, for the resurrection. And uh, anastasis in, in the Greek is a, is a female noun. So they think that Paul is talking about Jesus and his female consort, that he's bringing in, that Paul is bringing in foreign uh, divinities. And the last, uh, the, the, on the Oropagus itself, centuries earlier, Socrates had been put to death for talking about foreign divinities. So when these uh, philosophers are saying to Paul, come and tell us more, there's also that sense of threat that's going on there. Almost behind it, they're saying, are you forming a secret society? Are you a danger to our state? Come and tell us more. Will you do that, or are you going to keep it secret? And Paul, because he's the type of person he is, is absolutely up for saying what it is that he believes. And he starts uh, with where they are at. Although it's recorded at the beginning by Luke of the passage that we read that he was distressed and there's a sense there of righteous ag anger going on uh, at the idols that he's seen, he doesn't unload all of that righteous anger on the Athenians. Instead, he seems to allow that indignation, that distress to bring him to a place of this creative way of making the connection with the culture. So equally, he doesn't do what Peter and Stephen do and bring in a whole lot of information about the Old Testament. He, does it, he, he starts with where the Athenians are. And he starts with this, uh, what is said here in verse 23, which we've kept up uh, for you. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and that is what I'm going to proclaim to you. 
He's observed that they're idols, that they're looking to other, other gods. He's observed that they've got this catch-all God, just in case they've missed anybody out. And he says to them, actually, you're ignorant of that God, and that's the God that I'm going to introduce to you. And this is what he says next. I'm going to read verses 23 to 28. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of all their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So where does Paul start with a culture that doesn't have the narrative of the Old Testament? He starts with God as creator. He starts right at the very beginning. And as we go through the story of God, the big story over these next few weeks, we're going to start next week with creation. We need to start with God's creation of humanity. So more of that next week. But that's where Paul starts with these people. And you'll see in the verses that I've just read how that confronts those two philosophical notions of the Epicureans and the Stoics. He agrees with the Epicureans that God and the world aren't the same thing, but he confronts them head on when he says that God is not far from any one of us and in fact longs for a relationship of love with everyone. He says, God is not far from us. So he challenges that notion that God's distant. He says, no, God is here and now. And then he also challenges the Stoics. He, he challenges this self-sufficiency and building temples to gods and making sacrifices to different gods and says, actually, the God, this God, the God I'm speaking of, doesn't need you to make temples doesn't need you to make sacrifices. To those people, he says, God and the world are not the same thing. They are different. And what it is within you that is making you search for God, that's an impulse, that's, that's great, but you need to get beyond looking internally to yourself and self-sufficiency, you now need to look beyond that to God. You need to stretch out and reach the real God who's indeed not far off. And that verse 27 is so powerful, isn't it? 
God created the uh, world. He put times and seasons in their plan. He created the boundaries for nations. And he did this so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. What a great message to bring to people around us. This is what Tom Wright says uh, about the impact on the people in Athens as they listen to this. Here we see creeping up on the Athenian listeners an idea which must have been very strange to them, that history is moving in a forwards direction with a divinely ordained goal in view and that it matters to discern where we are within that particular plan. It matters for every person on the planet now to discern where we are in God's divine plan. And that is Paul's preparation for what he brings next in this conversation, in what he says with the, to the Athenians in the Oropagus. And I'm reading from verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Oropagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Paul has nothing to hide. He has something to reveal to the people in the council, that this God can not only be known, but, he, but God actually wants to be known. And Paul introduces that with creation, but he brings this all together with this future hope that God is going to judge the whole world. And there is a time, and this time for the Athenians, as he, he was speaking to them, was now, was a time to say, turn to God. And his proof for that? Well, his proof was the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus rose again. And again, it was significant that he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus in a place where a playwright, again, one of their favorite play playwrights, Aeschylus, had uh, said that in one of his plays that resurrection could never happen. And that play had happened in the Oropagus. So again, here is Paul stating the exact opposite to the culture that he is in. He's saying the resurrection of Jesus did happen. And that 
truth, that reality, ushers in the next stage of God's plan. It ushers in the time is now. Jesus has risen and he has made it possible for us to be in relationship with God. And because of that, God's plan for the whole of humanity is made possible because of Jesus. With the resurrection of Jesus, God's new world has become the start, the beginning of that great setting right which God will do for everybody at the end of time. And Paul says to the people, recognize where you are in God's plan, in God's history. With the resurrection of Jesus to guide you into that part for you to be part of God's story. There is a living God and he's now calling everyone everywhere. The response of some of the people, as we see in the passage, some sneered, weren't going to take it on at all. Others said, oh, that's interesting. Those are interesting concepts that you're bringing to us. Let's talk a bit more. And others followed Paul and believed. They were the, the ones who made that change, that repent. Dionysius and Damaris and the others had that moment, that gift of faith in that moment to believe that Jesus' life and death and resurrection has restored us to be in right relationship with God the Father. And then that good news can change every part of our lives and how we relate to people and how we love and serve those people around us. What's our response this morning? Well, for some people here, it may be that as I've been speaking, you've had that growing sense of, oh, I, I can be part of God's story. I can be part of this big story. I have a part to play. It may be that you're sitting thinking that you thought that God was far off and you've heard for the first time or this has hit you for the first time with new importance that God is here and you can have a relationship with him right here and now. For others, it might be that you've been kind of battling through life in that self-sufficient, stoic way, grappling with whatever has come at you. And to hear that God has brought change through Jesus, has defeated death itself with his resurrection, is starting to stir up within you that sense of, I want to follow this God too. I want to find out more about God. So for some of you this morning, this, this might be your time. It might be your time to become a follower of Jesus. To say, I'm in, I want to live out my life as part of the big story of God. 
and not on my own. You have a significant part to play in the story of God. Come and be part of that this morning. For others this morning, as you've heard me talk, you've been thinking about the culture that you encounter in your marketplace as you go through the daily life. And as you've listened to that, you've been thinking, oh, there are ways that, like Paul did, I can identify things in the culture and associate with things in the culture and make a link for people to God. And what you're looking for this morning is courage to do that. Because it does take courage to do what Paul did. Because it is recognizing what's in the culture, even affirming what's in the culture, as Paul does when he references the poets, but then standing firm on what it is that you know of Jesus and what Jesus has done in your life. And what we're going to be doing over these next few weeks is reminding ourselves of everything that God has done from creation all the way through to restoration. Because if you're anything like me, you know the story of God, but you forget different bits of it. You forget the, the, the real sense of this is what God has done for the whole world. So I'm praying that as we go through this story over the next few weeks, that we will be able to hear different parts of it and think, oh, that I could take into the marketplace. I could take into the different parts of my life that I, where I live and work and be able to share with people. So my prayer is this morning that we will again be encounter anew that deep sense of Jesus' resurrection, that God has started a new way of living in this world and that we can put our faith and trust in him.